What up, world? It's past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag episode where we answer listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it. Or watch the skies Monday morning, usually around 9 a.m. Pacific time, although I forgot and didn't post it until about 10.15 this morning. I put out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user, you can email the show. The address is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. We do this each week. We record on Monday nights, post on Tuesday. Rain, snow, sleet, whatever. Off-season, regular season, Mailbag Monday rolls on. So if this is your first time joining the podcast, you can look forward to Mailbag Monday every single week in your feed. With that preamble out of the way, let's get it going. The first question comes from Tam Tamterius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter, who asks, "What's up with the GTJ extension?" That's Gary Trent Jr. For the listeners not familiar with the shorthand, Tam continues, "Do you think the Blazers will wait and see him play, or even wait till the off season? Also, what could he get better? What could he get better at except doing more of what he's already doing? Maybe extending his pull-up range to three. So uh, with rookie extensions, you have to get it done before the start of the regular season. Um, with non-rookie extensions, like for regular players, you can you can wait and there's a mid-season deadline. Uh, but with rookie extensions, you either get it done before the season starts or uh, you have to do it in the offseason. Blazers almost certainly will extend Gary Trent Jr. this summer. They don't have a uh, heavy track record of getting, uh, they don't have a long track record of extending rookies prior to the season. And when they have done that, they gave Dame a max extension and a, and CJ a near max. I think it was just technically not a max, but by the way, the contract was structured, but it was max money at the time. Um, and they did those in July. They did those well before. They just got it out of the way and taken care of. They don't do these sort of last-minute negotiations. Even when they were negotiate, negotiating with Nurk, who wasn't their uh, draft pick, but was a guy who was who was eligible for rookie st- extension on the roster and, and uh, you know, obviously a big part of their core, they didn't even really meet. They just said, cool. They didn't meet with Nurk's representation. They just said, we want to see more from you. We like you. You're part of the plan, but there's no reason to talk contract right now because we're just, we're not going to give you one. We want to see more from you. And I, I assume it's the same way with Gary Trent Jr., although he might play himself into being more expensive than the Blazers want to pay. But Neil has only in his time locked up two rookies on extensions prior to the season starting, uh, Damon CJ, but he has, he has a good track record of retaining his guys. You know, Nurk, like I said, wasn't a draft pick, but he obviously signed him to a four year, $48 million contract. Uh, Myers Leonard, one of his, probably the first like true Neil pick. Cause Dame was kind of, uh, penciled in prior to Neil really showing up. He showed up that summer. Uh, but Myers got his extent, got his extension. He didn't get it obviously before the season started, but the Blazers bid against themselves to give Myers $40 million. Neil retains his guys, so I expect Gary Trent Jr. to get paid and be on the team. I just don't think it'll happen now. As far as where he can improve, you know, he's already a pretty elite pull-up shooter. He shot 39% on pull-up three-pointers last season. They were about 20% of his shot attempts. That's about the same number of pull-up threes as CJ takes. Uh, maybe t- maybe Gary should expand that a little bit more, but um, yeah, he's just... If he, if he plays... 
If he just sharpens up what he's already good at, he is going to be a really, really, really useful basketball player. Next question comes from Kev at 410Kevy on Twitter who asks, Is there any chance come the deadline that Neil is ready to part with Collins and or bring in a replacement if having faith in Simons doesn't pan out? Uh, It seems unlikely. I kind of think Neil has built this roster with the admission that Zach Collins' body might not get right. Um, I I don't think he... He might know more than we know, but I kind of think uh, bringing in Cantor and bringing in Nurk and bringing back Mello and bringing in Giles as your sort of young developmental but also can still play player off the bench... um, they've they have a lot of bigs they've stacked the back they've stacked the front court rather um so i don't think he'll part ways with collins that seems um it'd be the, he'd have the lowest trade value possible if he comes off an injury and is bad that's just not when you cut bait with someone but i could see them maybe they have a 14th roster spot they could always add more i think um simons there's absolutely no way they punt on him in year three just simply because when you took him out of you know, IMG Academy without playing college basketball, you knew it was going to be, it was a long-term play, right? It's not a, if he doesn't work out in three years, you have to, you have to punt or whatever. Um, It just, it doesn't fit the way Neil has done business in Portland to uh, get rid of either of those two gentlemen. So I think you might be right that their issues, Collins is, uh, either his health or his uh, lack of uh, lack of production and Simon's maybe not being ready for uh, for a big jump in year three that could lead them to making some roster moves but I don't I think it'll be because of them and but not like uh, not with them involved in those moves um, that just doesn't it's just not the way Neil has done things uh, I can't imagine can't imagine he changes his stripes that drastically he believes in his process believes in his scouting um, he's not going to give up on these dudes. He's certainly not going to give up on Simon's year three. If he gives up on Zach, he'll do it in the summertime. Next question comes from Jesse from Gmail. Jesse wrote a long email kind of, um, Jesse, a lifelong Syracuse fan who's watched a ton of mellow games since he was a 18 year old coming out of high school. Uh, not Jesse, but mellow. Maybe they're the same age. But followed, Jesse has followed Mello's career forever and, and makes a, a strong case that mellow off the bench has... He's, you know, the only time that ever tried it was in Houston and it was terrible, terrible, terrible. And it led to him sort of being out of the league for 10 months. So Jesse makes the case that Mello should start. And it's a three, three pronged case. One, Mello was familiar with the starting lineup and they are familiar with him. Whereas they're not as familiar with Covington and Jones Jr. I don't really care about that. Doesn't move the needle for me, but it's undeniably true. Two, obviously we have, obviously Mello wouldn't have an ego problem if he started. It's pretty easy to tell early if he's hot or cold. Give him three or four shots. If he's cold, sit him until the third quarter. I worry that letting him play the first, you know, six or eight minutes of the game and then sitting him for uh, the next 18 until halftime is not a way that you massage his ego and control it. Um, I just think he's going to get better, more, more and better shots against second units. Like there's more, he can soak up more offense when he's on the court there um, with that second unit. They're, they can run more of that two-man game with him and CJ if CJ ends up being the de facto point guard, backup point guard like I think he will be, or or Ant or even Rodney Hood um, two-man game with Mello. They can run post-ups for him. I just think there's more, there's more and better shots on the second unit. So 
seems like a natural fit for him. And also, if he is playing well with the second unit, you can just leave him in deeper into the second quarter, deeper into the fourth quarter after he comes off the bench uh, and kind of make that call from from there as opposed to starting him and then being maybe needing to bring him back in because of rotations and people being tired. Um, it's easier to kind of, if, if you are sort of worried about Mello, he's only good at one thing and will he bring it? I think it's easier to like bring him off the bench if he's scoring. Let's go, let's ride it and let him, let him stick you know, stay hot or get hot or, or be our guy down the stretch. And three, three, Jesse says, I've watched a lot of Mello. He's never passed the ball as much or as well as he did last year. If he's in the second unit, he may just get tunnel vision for scoring again. He doesn't pass like at the rate of LeBron James, but we caught flashes of some good deferring last year. Yeah, I, I think uh, Mello did a really part of his sort of maturation process was really understanding that he was the third option for the Blazers, that he was, it was Dame and then CJ and then he, you know, f- got in where he fit in behind them. And I think that was part of a sort of maturation process that maybe being out of the league allowed him, uh, allowed him to go through some, some sort of clarity and some maturity there and some um, just and self self-realization about sort of what his, what his role is going to be at this stage of his career. Not everyone ages like LeBron James. Most people age like Carmelo Anthony where they get a reduced role and they um, just aren't as good as they were. So, no shame in his game, and Jesse, no shame to being uh, not as good as you were at 36. I mean, that's just that's in year 17, it, it happens. Jesse goes on to say that um, if Melo is bad as, off the bench, is there a chance that the Blazers start him to see how it goes? Yeah, I think that's the I think that's a really reasonable guess. Like, hey, he's he doesn't like playing off the bench, or we're having trouble. Let's you know insert him at the starting power forward and kind of just to mix things up and, and go back to a look that's been successful for us. I think they'll, I think that's certainly an option or will he see his role reduce or cut ties with him? I think there's very, very little chance the Blazers cut ties with him. I think, um, Mello is part of Dame wanted him here. Neil wanted the sort of win of getting back someone with his resume back on the roster. Um, if Dame wants him here and they and they really do genuinely get along, that's not just like a like a fun storyline. Like they they legitimately um, Dame appreciates and respects Mello on a level that I don't I'm not familiar with him doing with another t- teammate since I've been around the, around the team. So they're not he's he's going to be on the roster even if he has a reduced role. He's um, I think his relationship with Dame, I think his openness with Neil, who has been like, hey, if you come back, you may come off the bench. And here's here's what we envision for you. I think all those things just point to him um, figuring it out, figuring out what a reduced role means. Um, I understand that he's or he has been uh, not not much of a bench player in his very brief 10 game stretch as a reserve for the Rockets. But I think this is a different situation. I think it's a different Carmelo Anthony. And I think at this stage in his career, he's a, he's a great weapon coming off the bench. I really believe it. Um, Jesse, I bet you don't agree, but I still appreciate you. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. But before I do that, I want to tell y'all about built go from the good people that make built bar comes built go the best workout gel on the market. Whether it's a mental or a physical wall, you can break through it with Go every single day. So what is this Built Go? Well, like I said, it's the best workout gel on the market. It comes in these little one and a half ounce packages. Throw it in your back pocket. Throw it in your bag. You're ready to go. It's kind of like five-hour energy without all the crash feelings. Uh, and it's natural, so it, it, it won't um, take a toll on your body in the way that those unnatural products do. 
comes with three three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, coconut, chocolate, and chocolate mint. Here's how it works so well. Here's how that you break through that physical and mental wall. You just got off a long day of work at your day job and need to record a 35 crisp minutes podcast. Well, Built Go is here to help you break through that wall, dear listener, if you're living my life. But here's how it works so well. Combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, gets into your system fast. It's easy on the stomach. Built Go is also loaded with that stuff to ignite your work and help you break through that wall. Beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. It's got like 100 milligrams of caffeine, basically like a cup of coffee. Really, really gets you going. And then it's got the kick to keep you going strong. It's got B6, a whole bunch of B12. And look, I'm reading a lot of ad copy here, but I'm going to go off script and say, these little packets work. Bilgo is packed with stuff that gets you going and keeps you going. That's not their ad copy either. That's just copy I made up. That's, that's how much I like Bilgo is that I'm, I'm offering them copy for free. Speaking of discounts, go to their website, builtgo.com, and use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. It's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. All right. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. Shout out to Dre Slaps, who provides the music for this show. Follow him on Instagram at WowSlaps or visit his website, rarevibe.com, and buy some merch. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Kenny Pruitt, at Kenny Pruitt on Twitter, who asks, Is there a realistic path for, for a Dame MVP? It felt like his individual play was best in the league at times last year, but it wasn't paired with us winning enough games. If he can replicate last year and we finish top two or three in the West, is that enough or does he need to do more? Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter asks, do you think Dame could be a dark horse for MVP this year? Last year's individual numbers should have put him up there, but since they were below 500, that's not a collective pronoun. We're trying to use collective pronouns here. Since they were below 500... He could never get traction. If the Blazers are a top team and Dame continues to put up similar numbers, could this be his year? Yeah, y'all don't y'all know the answer to this question. Both of y'all didn't know. Both of y'all know. You just wanted me to talk about how good Damian Lillard is, and I'll do it. He was the best player in the NBA for about eleven games for two and a half weeks, end of January and beginning of February last year. He was just on an absolute tear, and that included a game where he had 60 points against the Warriors because the Blazers desperately needed him to bail them out. They're better than that this year. If he is about as good as he was last year, if he averages 30 points, pushes up towards nine assists a game, shoots the three at an incredibly high level as he did a year ago, there are going to be guys who have better statistical years than him. Let's just get that out of the way. Giannis, Luka Doncic, Probably James Harden are going to put up these crazy monster stat years that Dame just can't touch because he doesn't play that way. He doesn't dominate the ball in the sort of same way that Harden does. Um, he's not the rebounder that Giannis and, and Luka are. He's just he, The counting numbers aren't going to be there. But the Blazers are a 55-win team. I think that's about the threshold. If the Blazers win 55-plus games, Dame is going to be a top-three MVP candidate. And if the Blazers finish second in the West... Damian Lord's going to be a top two and maybe your MVP. The bar's really high, and he is certainly capable of clearing it, but what he did last year is an MVP-type season. He just needs to play on a team that wins 55 games. That's it. Y'all know, know, 
He's extremely good. And both of you, you circled it. You circled it in your questions. The, it's, it's a team award. The Blazers have to be very, very good to get Dame up in that conversation. I also think there'll be a little voter fatigue. So Giannis unlikely to win a third straight MVP. I uh, think LeBron James uh, could sneak in there if he wants one. Anthony Davis, Luka for sure. James Harden just because of the numbers. Always, always, always. Kevin Durant off an Achilles injury. I mean, we're assuming he's 90% of what he was. There's definitely a bunch of guys who would be in the running, but Dame is one of the guys. Like he's he's on that level where if the team is good, he's an MVP. That's That's just simple enough. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28 on Twitter who asks, I saw the preseason rankings and they have us. Now we're talking collective pronouns. Let's go. They have us ranked fifth, which I feel is pretty fair considering our season last year. But I noticed the Jazz ahead of us. When I compare our roster to theirs, I struggle to understand how they're ranked higher than us. Is this just my blazer bias and saltiness that we didn't draft Donovan Mitchell? Or do I have a point? Uh, no, this is your saltiness. This is your saltiness, Adam. Uh, this, listen, the Blazers being the fifth best team in the West is fine. The Blazers being a little bit worse than Utah is also fine. I think the Blazers got better this summer. Uh, I think Utah stayed appreciably the same. Um, maybe getting Bogdanovich back healthy and, um, Conley kind of figuring out where he fits into that offense. Maybe they'll be a little bit better. You know, there was a lot of people who thought the Jazz were going to finish second in the West last year. I was never buying that BS because part of the logic was that Donovan Mitchell was going to turn into prime Dwayne Wade, like the third greatest shooting guard in the history of the NBA. And that whenever you say that, okay, this team can take the next step as long as this dude turns into a Hall of Famer, it's just dumb. It's a dumb way to think about basketball. Um, stop. Stop putting the baseline at team success at if they're one of the all-time greats. Adam, did you make me mad at the Jazz? Am I mad at the Jazz now? No, I think, listen, I think the Blazers being a little bit behind the Jazz is fine. Uh, the, Utah had a lot more team success last year. They're um, fairly similar this year, although uh, I think their depth is a concern and the Blazers' depth is, is a strength. Um, maybe you think Jordan Clarkson solved the Jazz depth problems and I'm a big dumb dummy. But uh, they lost two University of North Carolina national champions and Ed Davis and Tony Bradley. And I wonder who can recover from such an offseason loss. But yeah, don't preseason rankings. You're just getting worked up. You got me worked up too. It, it doesn't matter. This next question comes from Deloitte's at Deloitte's on Twitter who asks, ET as a coach. That's Evan Turner, y'all. What do you think he, why do you think he decided to go this route instead of taking a vet minimum somewhere? Staying with this topic. Neil DeGrasse Olshay at Justin underscore B underscore leak on Twitter asks, ET's new gig is pretty sweet news and made me wonder what ex-Blazers player from recent memory would make a good assistant coach for this squad. So I was going to share this as sort of unsourced information, but I'll just, I'll be upfront with y'all. Uh, I saw Evan Turner in Portland before the NBA season had was called for hiatus, but after he had been bought out or after he'd been traded to the uh, T-Wolves and he was waiting to get bought out. So it was like the end of February. And I was just chatting with him, asking him how he's doing and stuff like that and asking, you know, trying to figure out what was next for him. But I wasn't talking to him in the capacity of a journalist. I was just chatting with him as um, two people who know each other and we saw each other in public kind of catching up. Um, and he told me that he was considering retiring from playing basketball. And I was 
very surprised to hear that. But um, this news seems to follow in that. I think he was, I don't think he enjoyed, or I know he didn't enjoy being in Atlanta at all. Just didn't work out for him there. Uh, I think he um, had had too many experiences where he would, even though he made $75 million from the Blazers, he never got the role he wanted. He never got, he was always, he was the scapegoat by the fans and stuff like, things like that. And I'm not saying like fans being mean to him made him retire, but I think he just said, I've made a ton of money. I played 10 years in the league. I'm, I know that my next stop, I'm again going to be sitting and watching a bunch and not playing. And I think instead of having that frustration, he just went ahead and bypassed that and got to his next role, um, which is being an assistant coach. So I think he was just, I think he'd moved beyond wanting to be the 10th guy in an NBA team and was ready to be the fifth guy in an NBA coaching staff. But to your question, Justin underscore B underscore leak, um, Recent coach. So I would have said Chris Kamen because I think, um, you know, played a long time in the league, uh, has sort of like, has this sort of sagely wisdom vibe to him. But I can't imagine Kamen and Mello vibing particularly well. So I'm going to go a little bit out of bounds here and say Brian Roberts. You remember Brian Roberts, a late season addition a couple seasons ago. Um, he just seems to have the temperament. People really liked him in the brief time he was around. He seems to have the temperament to be a good um, a good assistant coach. So, yeah, I'll go Brian, Brian Roberts because um, he's not going to rattle as many cages as Cayman seems like he might do. Next question comes from Tam Terrius, the Greek, at Tam the Greek on Twitter, who asks... I recently saw that the only award or achievement a Dame teammate has ever won is CJ's most improved. Let's say that is about to change. What is more likely? Nurk or CJ becomes an all-star. Simmons or Trent wins most improved. Rocco wins defensive player of the year. Stotts coach of the year or CJ LB gets rookie of the year. So I don't think CJ can become an all-star. There's just so many guards in the West. I think it's relatively unlikely Nurk makes an all-star team. Uh, he not the, not the exact same position crunch, but certainly a big position crunch. So I don't think those are two are very likely, even though they're perfectly good basketball players. Simon's winning most improved seems pretty unlikely. Same for Robert Covington, defensive player of the year. Wouldn't that be fun? But I, I can't see it happening. CJ Ellaby isn't going to win rookie of the year because he's not going to play. So basically comes down to Trent versus most improved and Stotts winning coach of the year. And for my money, I'll go Stotts coach of the year. Um, it's easier to, I feel like Gary Trent already had his breakout. So he like, he, he kind of, he had his bubble breakout. So then what is, is he, imp- are you measuring him with the whole season or how do you measure the improvement? Um, I think, uh, I think his, he screwed up his own narrative by being good at a weird time. He, he timed his, um, he timed his being excellent a little bit off to win the hardware. So I'm going to say Stotts coach of the year kind of fits the, um, kind of fits the mold like if the Blazers are picked to finish fifth in the West and they finish second that's like exactly coach of the year usually goes to the team that media members thought was going to be bad and turned out to be good see Billy Donovan uh also LaMarcus Aldridge made two all-star games next to Dame so his teammates have won stuff before Tam Terrius don't put some put some respect on LaMarcus's name Okay, next question comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter who asks, How are you coping with John Henson not signing with the Zers? I'm doing bad. Doing bad. Um, not only did they not sign beloved Tar Heel legend John Henson, they added a pretty good player from Duke. The locker room now has three Duke guys. Stuff. 
No, but I think this next question actually illustrates um, how, how it all went down. This next question comes from Hassan Whiteside's burner at Justin P1111, who asks, Kings got Hassan for a one-year minimum deal. Pretty solid, if you ask me. Why didn't you, the Blazers offer? I gave Justin that voice. I'm sorry. Justin, I apologize. Kings got Hassan for a one-year minimum deal. Pretty solid, if you ask me. Why didn't the Blazers offer Hassan the same deal? Did they ever consider bringing him back prior to training for Cantor? So I don't know if they considered bringing back prior to Cantor, but Cantor, which happened pretty early in the process, was a signal that they had moved on. And I don't think that they pursue Cantor if in that way, um, use the traded player exception in that in that manner if Hassan was really in the cards at all. Um, you know, this ended, that ended up being a draft day trade. Uh, they worked it into a draft day trade. Uh so yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think. I think the team is ready to move on from Hassan. I really do. I think they were just. They saw what they got out of him. Um, he was fine, but not really good. He was. He was not necessarily the problem, but he wasn't. He was very clearly not the solution. Um, the things he was good at, he didn't necessarily make the team good at. So. I think they just moved off. They were just ready to be done with Hassan. They knew that they could, if they needed his production, they could go back and get minimum productive NBA player John Henson to fill in that role. But I think that's that's what happened with Henson is that the market for centers was really weird. Um, and so sort of guys that were already pegged at the minimum like him, uh, some players got pushed in that direction like Whiteside and some players got paid $25 million like Mason Plumlee. Um, just as like an aside, a lot of the criticism I've seen of Whiteside after his career what the Blazers has done is that he was he was lazy or he didn't try hard or he was he was like a malcontent and I don't I don't think that's necessarily my read on it like I don't think that I don't think he he bonded super tight with the team and he was um he was not he never took like a lot of personal responsibility with the media but maybe that's asking a little bit much from from someone in my position but I think like just like what his actual problem was is that he's just super stiff it's just like not a mobile guy. He's not, um, his moves are are kind of slow and deliberate. He's not much of a passer. He doesn't have much athletic creativity. Like a lot of his issues are just like physical stuff. And people, instead of wanting to say like, dude, the dude moves a little slow because like he is a good athlete. They say like, oh, he's lazy and he's capable of stuff. But like, I think Hassan Whiteside's limitations as much as anything are his physical abilities. All right, let's come back in the third segment. Close out the show with more of your questions for Mailbag Monday. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Box on Blazers. And chances are, if you like this show, you also like Hollinger and Duncan, a podcast that's part of this very network. Features NBA analytics pioneer and front office insider. Not just front office insider. He worked for the Grizzlies for seven years. John Hollinger joins Dunked On podcast host Nate Duncan to bring you scouting reports, game breakdowns, salary cap analysis. You name it. They got it. Get smarter. Listen to Hollinger and Duncan. Subscribe to it wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling, Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Daniel Joseph Graves at InKelso on Twitter, who asks, your thoughts on Joe F. and Casey moving on? That's Joe Freeman of the Oregonian, Casey Holdall of Trailblazers.com, who recently stopped recording Rip City Report. 
the gold standard for Blazers podcasting. They've been recording it since 2013. They were not only the pioneers, but they were the best in the business. But you're not the only one curious about that. Adam at Real Mike Stand asks, unvarnished thoughts on the Oregonian, ending the Rip City Report rather than taking advantage of his large fan base and an employee who is already a popular podcaster seems short-sighted, and frankly, I can only speak for myself, but I'm not clamoring for a new Oregonian podcast. Easy way this could have gone. Joe, keep doing your podcast and promote our new ones. Done. It's not like they're the first newspaper whose employees discovered podcasting long before they did. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot going on in that um, question. Adam, let me see if I can break it down to you. One, I kind of, I shared my thoughts about this on the previous podcast, previous mail bag episode so a week ago today um but they were brief so i'll repeat them here it is a bummer when anyone is forced to stop doing something they love i know that joe and um casey really loved doing uh locked uh, locked on blazers they probably, probably love locked on blazers shorter format um but they've really loved doing the rip city report uh i know joe had you know he's he's been on the blazer beat for a long time 14 years uh and i think the rip city report was one of the things he really still enjoyed doing on the beat because the rest of it kind of wears you down a lot of practices a lot of shoot arounds a lot of games um they they start to bleed together after a decade plus on the on on the beat so i think the rip city report was something that he really loved and then it was taken from him basically by decision from the Oregonian. They decided that they wanted to get into the podcast space and that having a shared podcast um, with the uh, with the Trailblazers didn't allow them to um, sort of have their own control over it. And frankly, that's fine. That's fine. This is they're a business that needs to exist and they need to um, you know they're moving a lot of their articles behind paywalls because they're struggling to survive and 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 as much as I don't like the people who run the Oregonian, um, and I would like to, you know, give you a rant of 15 minutes with a bunch of F-bombs in there about how much I dislike them. I worked there for a long time and was laid off unceremoniously on a Monday morning. It was a Wednesday morning. So it was a morning. But I don't have beef with anyone who were I don't have beef with the, with the employees at the Oregonian. I mean, there's maybe there's some employees that I have beef with. But like my my gripes with Oregonian is 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 much more about sort of the decision making from the higher ups, maybe even beyond the local level, right? But I can't fault them for this decision. Like it sucks. It sucks for Joe. It sucks for Casey. It sucks for the listeners. You know, people who who love Blazer podcasts. It stinks that the that Rip City Report's not around anymore. Uh, but them wanting to bring stuff in house and sell their own ads and have their own like have a claim to something stinks. And I don't think that they could have pitched something where the trailblazers would have just said, yeah, you can have all the money. You can take all the ad revenue and, and control it or whatever. And I'm not sure the Oregonian would have let a blazer employee be on their podcast. Um, whatever they do next won't be the rip city report, which means it probably won't be as good, but, um, content, Media companies trying to bring content in-house is just like a reasonable way to do business, and it's a bummer, but I can't really fault them for it. Um, that said, I don't listen to sports podcasts, really. I've only listened to like 15 Rip City Reports ever. Um, those I know those guys were really good at it, and everyone loved them, so I wish they were still doing it because they enjoyed doing it and people enjoyed listening to it, and that seems good to me. All right, this next question comes from Andrew at and Merriam on Twitter. Andrew, you have you have a bad Twitter handle. Just kidding, love you, buddy. You have an okay Twitter handle. It's not very good, but it's it's fine. Andrew asks, "What's up with the Allen Estate and the Blazers? Are they managing it without penalties currently, and presumably still care about money for those 
for whom it no longer matters. They're too rich and or too dead. Yeah, Paul Allen probably doesn't care about money, Andrew. But like, who's in charge of it? I had to do some editing. This is a family. This is mostly a family-friendly show, and and, and Andrew made some um, not family-friendly jokes. So Jody Allen, Paul's sister, is, con- is the controlling um, governor of the Blazers. I think they got rid of the word owner in the NBA. So the controlling governor of the Blazers. She doesn't really make day-to-day decisions. Uh, Neil says that she's more into... Um, she kind of gets the plan like, hey, here's here's the way we want to go about things. And she says, great. Whereas Paul was like sending her scouting reports and Blazer's Edge blogs and stuff like that. Um, so I think uh, Jody much sees it from like a CEO standpoint, um, you know, that she's managing a, a business as, as a billion dollar asset as opposed to being in love with basketball. That said, uh, seems to be some some things like the way they've been doing business that, that maybe she would be getting her, the ducks in a line to sell. Um, I know that when Paul passed, I asked someone who would know and they explained to me that it would basically take five years um, for the estate to get all settled and figure out what you could sell, what you couldn't sell and all those things. So I think we're still a couple years away from that. But um, for now, it's Jody Allen and Burt Cold, the Vulcan CEO, who are who who call most of this sort of day-to-day shots in regards to the Allen estate and the Blazers. And by day-to-day, I mean financial shots. The day-to-day is run by Neil. Okay, next question comes from Jacob from Gmail, who says, who's a better passer, Nikola Jokic or Blazers-era Arvidas Sabonis? How close does Yusuf Nurkic come to their ability? Nurk isn't close to either of those two gentlemen. He's a really good passer, but those guys are savants. Uh, I wasn't really old enough to appreciate, and I didn't live here on the West Coast at the time, um, so I watched Arvidas Sabonis on national TV games, not like um, nightly like many of you who are my age and grew up in this era. Uh, grew up in this region, so I'm I'm, I'm going to say Jokic, um, but Sabonis was so big and so special and such a fun passer that I think in this era where you didn't throw the ball down in the post and you got to operate out higher on the floor, he may have shown more passing chops, but because of the way the game works now, Jokic can be the hub and gets to really sort of be giant slow point guard, so I'll give him the nod slightly, but Sabonis deserves, um, he, Sabonis might be 1B to his 1A. Next question comes from Andy from Gmail who asks, much has been made about Portland's two-year development program for for second-round guards. Crab, Planet Pat, you're the only person I've ever heard use that nickname, Andy. Shout out to you. Barton, Lehman, etc. Assuming CJ Ellaby is on that plan, do you think he can develop into a Crab-esque role player in a few years? And while he's not quite on the same plan, is Jalen Horde a possibility to return to a similar useful role guy in a year or two if Portland keeps him around? Yeah, so I've been on record. I'm proponent of the Blazers re-signing Jalen Horde to a a two-way deal. I think he's an NBA player. Um, I'm not sure he'll end up being an NBA player for the Portland Trail Blazers, but I think he's um, the right side with a lot of skill um, that he could be an NBA player. Yeah, I, I have no idea on Ellaby. I can't I can't call it either way. I have watched one YouTube video and I didn't even make it to the end because it was 10 minutes long and I got the general idea about seven minutes in. Um, I have no idea. I think, I think you have to give the Blazers the benefit of the doubt that they have done well developing second round guys. Um, now, if... Anthony Simons does not pan out to be an NBA player. We'll we'll kind of go back on this and talk about their uh, developmental path again. But right now, I think you got to just give them the benefit of the doubt. The chances that they develop CJ Ellaby into like a sort of ninth man in the NBA seems pretty high. They seem pretty good at that. 
Next question comes from Jack Pershall, who asks, will we see the all-defense lineup of Gary Trent Jr., Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, Rodney Hood, and Yusuf Nurkic? I want three minutes of this lineup once this season. I know why it won't happen, but I'd love to see those guys lock in on a team. Don't know how Rodney Hood snuck in here on this all-defense team. I realize that he was one of the Blazers' better, like, theoretical defenders last year, but he's he's not a good, def- like, a really good defensive player by any means. I think Zach should probably be in that spot. Um, or, like, Dame is probably a better defender than Rodney Hood if we're just talking about, like, one-on-one defense. He's not as big, so he's not a good team defender. Um, yeah, I, I think three minutes, there's, a, there's very little chance you'll get three minutes of it, but maybe, maybe, like, a 35 seconds where there's like a weird foul trouble and they just need to defend one possession. Um, so I, let me just give you a, a thought on this. They, they bring this all defense lineup out. They're locking down, but then they're coming down the court and, and like Rodney hood is bringing the ball up and running a pick and roll with Robert Covington. And you're down four with two and a half minutes left and you desperately need a bucket and you're running the Rocco Rodney hood, two man game. I don't think you're feeling as good about this. I think you're just going to want to put Dame back in the game. Um, there's a reason, you know, you just play your good players. I, I'm, it's not going to happen, Jack, but I, I love the creativity. Next question comes from James and Beaverton who asks, LaMelo Ball just joined his brother Lonzo in the NBA. He's the first set of brothers both picked in the top three. This is kind of an old question lost in Gmail, but we've we had crowded, uh, we've had some crowded mailbags. This episode's going long too. We've got a crowded mailbag here, but uh, I'm putting it in. James continues. If you set up an NBA Jam Brothers tournament, which pair would end up on top? The Balls, Brooke and Robin, Markeef and Marcus, or Steph and Seth Curry? I think their playmaking, the Balls, could shock the world, but in the end, the Currys would set the Balls on fire. I think they set the Nets on fire, not the Balls on fire there, James. It's been a while since probably either of us have played NBA Jam. Um, yeah, I actually do think the the LaMelo and Lonzo would be really good video game players, Um I worry that Markeith and Marcus would be bad video game players because they're kind of they're not they don't have like video game skills. I think Brooke Lopez would be insane at NBA Jam because he shoots threes and he's like a, a big shot blocker dunker type. I think he'd be really, really good in NBA Jam. Um, but my pick is gonna be Taylor Griffin and Blake Griffin, because Taylor Griffin briefly played in the NBA and Blake Griffin is like the perfect video game player. So yeah, that's the brothers who win the NBA Jam title. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode. Like I said, we do Mailbag Monday every week. So if you want to get involved, this is your first mailbag or you just want to get involved for the first time, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just go into that application, type in Locked On Blazers, and you will find this very podcast. Smash that subscribe button. Uh, I haven't done this in a million years, but... Maybe throw a, if you like, if you enjoy what you're listening to, throw a five-star review on iTunes. I'm sure that helps. I don't know how, but it's got to help. Everyone wants five-star reviews. It can't hurt. It can't hurt. It, could, it couldn't possibly hurt to give uh, Locked On Blazers a five-star review on iTunes. How, uh, what could go wrong? All right. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.